Good evening, everybody. How are y'all? Good. Let me just get this thing adjusted. My name is Sam. I'm the Minister of Outreach here, and I am not usually the person that speaks to you on a Thursday night. Typically, our lead pastor, Donnie, Pop, Do, ooh, Donnie Holiday, is the one that shares the message. And let me tell you something. That guy has got his work cut out for him. I mean, prepping for this talk this week, it took so much time, so much energy, so much practice, and Donnie does it week in and week out. And it's really great to have a lead pastor who... Um, is eager and excited to share with us each week. So thank you, Donnie. Um, our theme for this year is story time. We've been looking at stories from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Here it is right here. It's a book that's marketed towards children, but it has some really, it has a way of expressing some, some very fundamental and, and good truths about how the entire narrative of the Bible points towards Jesus. Our theme verse for this year is John 5.39, which is the scriptures point to me. That's Jesus referring to everything in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, and the New Testament. And he says that it all points to him. And that's kind of the theme of the Jesus Storybook Bible. And so that's why we're reading it this year. Um, We've read lots of stories. And at some point in all of the stories in the Jesus Storybook Bible, they have a way of drawing it back to Jesus. Sometimes in really subtle ways, sometimes in obvious ways. Um, so last week, Donnie talked to us about Psalm 23 and the story of David writing Psalm 23. It's a really famous poem in the Bible. We're going to look at another story about King David, but first I want to let you know, as you can kind of tell looking around the room, seeing some of the different Halloween decorations, that this week's talk is a Halloween-themed talk, okay? It's about everything spooky, everything scary. Do you, do you guys have a guess as to what this, this talk is about? Any guesses? It's about fear! I kind of, yeah, I didn't really give you guys a whole lot of time to guess. <laughs> Tonight's talk is all about fear. So let me ask you this, and I will give you more time to answer this question. What are you afraid of? Just shout it out. I heard everything. That was the first thing I heard. Spiders. What else? Needles. Myself. Okay. Men. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Halloween is a strange holiday because we willingly scare ourselves during the Halloween season. Have you guys ever thought about how weird that is? Like we go to haunted houses, we watch scary movies, and we put ourselves in this scary these scary situations, and I don't know what to make of that, but I think the fact that we have an entire holiday that surrounds fear goes to show that fear is a natural part of our lives. It is a natural part of our everyday lives, and fear is complicated, okay? Not all fear is bad. I think most of it's bad, but some fear can be good. Sometimes we have to embrace our fear in order to grow and change. And then other times, we cling to our fears as tightly as we can, and we can't seem to let go of them. So tonight, we're going to explore all of these ideas, okay? Embracing fear, letting go of fear, good fear and bad fear. And we're going to look at these things in the story of David and Goliath. But before we jump into the story, I want to be honest with you. Um, I, myself... I'm a very fearful person. 
I've struggled with anxiety, which I would say is kind of like a closely related cousin to fear for most of my life. Okay, I've been afraid about global events, about the war in Ukraine. Um, I've been afraid of people talking about a recession coming soon. And knowing how fearful of a person I am, I was afraid to give this talk. Genuinely, I had a voice telling me, you know, who do you think you are to talk to CCFers about fear? You don't know anything about courage. But, you know, I really felt like God still wanted me to share this message. I believe that he had something that he put on my heart that he wanted me to say. And I just say all of that to let you know that I'm actively working on trusting God more and more every day, just like everybody else. So we're probably going to talk about some things that are uncomfortable tonight. Fear is an uncomfortable subject, but I want to let you know that I'm right here with you, okay? I'm experiencing the same things that many of you are probably experiencing, and you're not alone, because God has given us this community. That was the thing that I was most afraid of, guys. (laughs) God has given us this community in order to help us face our fears, okay? We're supposed to lean on each other, So let's jump into the story. I'm going to read the entire story in the Jesus Storybook Bible, and then we're going to slowly work through its parallel in the book of 1 Samuel, okay? This is titled, The Young Hero and the Horrible Giant. I'm going to try and read it kind of dramatically too, which is fun. So this comes from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. God's people had some scary enemies, but the Philistines were the scariest of them all. And now the Philistines had come to fight them. The Philistines had a secret weapon called Goliath. Goliath was a terrifying soldier, and worst of all, a giant. A giant so strong and so tall and so scary that no one had ever been able to fight him and live to tell the tale. So there they were, the Philistines standing on the top of one hill, God's people standing on the top of the other. Every day, Goliath came out and shouted, Send your best soldier to fight me. If he wins, we will be your slaves. But if I win, you will be our slaves. No one spoke. No one moved. Chickens, Goliath bellowed. Your God can't save you. I'll rip your heads off and have you on toast. His beady, greedy eyes glowered at them hungrily from under his horrible helmet, as if any minute he really might just gobble them all up. And he laughed his terrible laugh. Ha, 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 it booms, echoing horribly around and around the dry, dry valley. Well, Goliath might just as well have been a green, slimy monster with three heads because God's people froze with fear. Their eyes glazed over and they turned deathly pale. They knew if someone didn't do something quick, if someone didn't save them, but God would do something. He would send someone to save them. Now, you remember that David was the youngest of Jesse? Well, his brothers were soldiers in the army. One day, when David brought his brothers their lunches, he saw Goliath, and he saw how scared everyone was. Don't be afraid, David said. I'll fight him for you. You're only a little shepherd boy, the king said, and Goliath is a great soldier. How will you fight him? God will help me, David said. So the king gave David his royal armor to wear, but it was too heavy and too big, and David couldn't even walk. I won't need this, David said. Instead, David picked out five smooth stones from the stream, one, two, three, four, five, took his slingshot, and walked towards Goliath, step 
step, step. Goliath walked towards David. Thud, thud, thud. You, Goliath peered down at the small boy. I'm little, David shouted up at him. (laughs) But God is great. Goliath laughed an even terrible laugh than usual. Ha, 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 it went. With just one swing of his giant sword, Goliath could finish the boy off. But David kept going. It isn't how strong you are or how many swords and spears you have that will save you. It is God who saves you. This is God's battle, and God always wins his battles. David put a stone in his sling, swung it around, and let it go. The little stone flew, whiz, like a bullet through the air and struck Goliath, thud, right between the eyes. Goliath stopped laughing. He stumbled and staggered and crashed. He fell dead. When the Philistines saw Goliath was dead, they ran away. And when God's people saw them running away, they cheered. God had saved his people. David was a hero. Many years later, God would send his people another young hero to fight for them and to save them. But this hero would fight the greatest battle the world has ever known. And that's the story. Let me get back to my notes for a moment. Right off the back, we learn that the Israelites are in trouble. They have to face this evil, mean giant who wants to destroy them, to enslave them. So I've got a question for you guys. I'm going to ask just a couple of questions throughout the night. Knowing that Israel was God's people, do you feel like they had a right to be scared in this situation? Don't be afraid to shout out your answer. Okay. Nice. I think so, too. <laughs> that was, I, I feel like that maybe sounded like a trick question, but the answer, I think, is yes, of course they had a right to be scared, okay? Um, this man was threatening their lives. If anyone has given you the idea that Christians are not ex- supposed to experience any fear, then I don't think that they've been honest with you. Now, just because they were afraid doesn't necessarily mean that fear is a good thing. So let me put that in a question. Do you think fear is good, bad, maybe a little bit of both? Both? Okay. And how much of it? I like that. Um, I think we're all familiar with the ways that fear can be bad, right? We all know that sort of constricting, all-encompassing, overwhelming fear that dominates us and and hurts us. But we do need to touch on how fear sometimes can be a natural thing, a good thing. Okay, we live in a dangerous world. Certain things are scary. If a ravenous wolf walked through the doors right now, don't worry, I haven't arranged for a wolf to walk (laughs) through the doors. Take a deep breath. If that happened, a very normal, natural response would be fear, right? I would question anyone that wasn't afraid in that situation. It's what we do with our fears once we've experienced them that makes the difference long term. Now, the best thing to do is to act with courage. Um, But it's when we let our fears grow out of control, when we allow them to take root in our minds and in our hearts, that we know that something's gone wrong. When fear has moved from reasonable to unreasonable. 
okay? Let me tell you a story just to kind of try and draw out some of the nuances of, of how we experience fear in our daily lives. I love whitewater kayaking. It's one of my favorite things to do, but it scares the heck out of me. I mean, really, every single time that I get on a river, a whitewater river, I am anxious. You can ask my friends that have gone with me. Now, I have this friend. His name is Will, and Will, I would say, is a very courageous person. Um, A few summers ago, we spent pretty much all summer kayaking, and Will helped me face my fears. He helped me take me down rivers that I had never dreamed of going down. And the biggest river we went down that summer was the Okoe. Some of you guys have probably rafted down this river before. Um, I was really nervous to go down this river. This was the Big Kahuna, the last river of the summer. Um, Even though I was more than prepared to go down it, I was really anxious. Now, Will had been down the Okoe plenty of times, and I wanted to scout every single rapid on the river which is not something that you typically do. So Will was guiding me down the river, and I'd say, Will, don't you think we should get out and scout this rapid? And he'd say, we don't need to scout this rapid. I'd be like, okay. And then I'd be like, well, what line should I take? And he's like, look, just go right down the middle. Now, I don't know if you know much about kayaking, but you rarely should just go straight down the middle, okay? Typically, you need to be a little bit more technical with it, a little bit more careful. You start on the right, you go over a small drop, you kind of ride a chute over to the left, and then you make your way over to the middle. The middle of the rapid is where kind of the biggest waves and holes are, the things that can knock you out of place, flip you upside down, and then what you really don't want to happen is you have to eject yourself out of your boat, and then you're swimming through the water, and that's where you can break bones and get a concussion, and in the worst case scenario, die. So I did not want to go down the middle of the rapids, but Will wanted to go down the middle of the rapids, and he was my guide, so I followed him. And it was like he was aiming for the biggest river features, okay? I was making it through, but just by the skin of my teeth. So we finally made it to the Olympic section of the Okoe. This is about 300 yards long. It's continuous class three and four whitewater. Um, And we decided to scout this one, and I felt kind of good about it. And towards the end of it, there's this one rapid called Humongous, because it's humongous. Okay, so we got to going down the the Olympic section, and I was doing pretty good. You know, I was taking lots of good lines, and we got to humongous, and I was like, oh shoot. So I pulled over, and I took a deep breath, and then I went for it, and I hit my line dead on. I felt so good. I took a big breath of air. I relaxed, and I let my guard down. And then suddenly, a standing wall of white water appeared in front of me. Not really. I just wasn't paying attention. (laughs) Next thing I knew, my boat was going over the top of my head. I was upside down underwater, hitting my head on rocks. It's okay. I had a helmet. And then I ejected myself, and the worst thing that could have happened to me happened. I didn't die, but I was out. (laughs) It's kind of a misleading sentence, but I was out of my boat, which is not what you want to happen, but I was okay. I made it to the shore. Will got my gear together and met me further downstream, and then I got back in my boat, and I kept going, and it's funny because having had that experience, I was able to relax and enjoy the rest of the river, which I wasn't really enjoying it up to that point. Now, 
I told you this story because I think it's important as a starting point to show you that dealing with fear isn't as simple as saying, fear is bad, don't have it, okay? It's not that simple. Some fear is good. Caution is good. Most of our fears start off as completely rational lines of thinking, but the problem is we dwell on them too long. They take root and they turn into anxiety. When I went down the Okoe, I started off with a reasonable amount of caution. However, that caution turned into anxiety. I wasn't able to relax, I wasn't able to enjoy the ride, and I didn't trust in my own abilities. Now, Will, on the other hand, I respect him for his courage, but sometimes he was a little bit unsafe. Um, so having said that, having, having looked at maybe some of the ways that fear is kind of necessary, I think we can spend the rest of our time talking about when fear becomes really bad. So let's turn back to the story of David and Goliath. Saul, the king of Israel, and his men are terrified of Goliath, and reasonably so. He's threatening to enslave them. The only way to put an end to these threats is to take care of Goliath, but they can't find anyone that's willing to face him. For 40 days, it says this in the book of 1 Samuel, Goliath gets up in the morning and he taunts the Israelites. He mocks them, he torments them, and they can't do anything about it. They're in what I like to call the big stuck, okay? And the big stuck sucks. They were frozen with fear. They were unable to act. They were unable to step forward and face this huge giant. Now, sometimes... Freezing with fear does work. I mean, sometimes you can just wait long enough and your fears go away. But oftentimes, the best way to do things is to face them head on. And in Israel's case, Goliath isn't going anywhere. He's going to continue taunting them, continue threatening them. And so I want to ask you a rhetorical question. And I'm going to leave a little bit of silence for everyone to think about it. What is your Goliath? What is your fear that isn't going away? Okay? I gave you guys some index cards and some pens. You don't have to use them, but feel free to use them as a resource to answer this question. I'm just going to slowly name some things that people generally are afraid of. And if any of these resonate with you, just go ahead and write them down. Or if you think of stuff on your own, feel free to write that down as well. So what's your Goliath? What are you afraid of? Is it loneliness? Is it failure? Are you afraid of being vulnerable? Are you afraid of not being self-sufficient? Of experiencing pain? Are you afraid of leaving a bad relationship? Are you afraid of living through political turmoil during your lifetime? Are you afraid of change? Are you afraid of becoming a more sacrificial person to the people around you? Are you afraid because you have questions about God right now? Is there a person that you are afraid of? Okay, there's some of you, this may be the case, where you haven't written anything down yet because you feel like the thing that you're afraid of 
is silly. It's so small and insignificant that it's not even worth writing it down. Whatever it is, go ahead and write it down. Okay, there's no shame. If it's what you're afraid of, then it's what you're afraid of. We're going to circle back to these things here in a minute. Um, But I want to let you know that whatever it is that you wrote down, God can deliver you from it, and nothing is too big for him to handle. Okay, he loves you, and he only wants what's best for you all the time. So let's turn back to the story. Saul and his soldiers are frozen with fear, but here enters an unexpected hero, David. At this point, he's not the king. He's just a shepherd. Just a boy, really. So we're going to read a passage of scripture where he is interacting with Saul before fighting Goliath. This is in 17, starting in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. Excuse me. And he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. I just wanted to spend a short amount of time on this little section. Um, David is confident that he can defeat Goliath because he's seen God deliver him from smaller threats like lions and bears. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go fight a lion or a bear. But apparently, these are no big deal for David. Here's the point I want to make. Sometimes, you got to trust God with the small things before you can be delivered from the bigger things. Okay, sometimes you got to trust God to take care of the lions and bears before you can trust him to take care of the Goliaths. Or at least, it's easier to trust him with the Goliaths if you're actively trusting him with the lions and the bears. And what that could look like practically is just getting up each day and saying, God, help me with today. Help me to get through the day. Help give me a good mood Help me to pass my test. Help me to have good interactions with my roommates. If you can start doing these little things on a daily basis, then suddenly the overwhelming big fears that we feel like we can't face will become a little bit smaller. Okay, so let's keep reading. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. This is in verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch of a shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Okay, so we are almost there. We're almost at the moment that David fights Goliath. But first, we've got to touch on this thing. Saul tries to give David his armor. Saul tries to give David his armor, but David doesn't want it. 
You see, Saul had one way of trying to defend David from his enemies. His way was the way that was normal, right? If you were going to go to battle, then you need a good sword, you need a coat of good armor, but David's way was different. Okay, we all have our own versions of armor. We have all, all have ways that we defend ourselves against the things that we're afraid of. And like Saul, the world gives us all sorts of ways to cope with our fears that seem good in the moment and can be good, but in the long term, ultimately slow us down or give us a false sense of security. So you have the index card. Pull it out again. Look at what you wrote earlier, okay? The things that you're afraid of or the thing that you're afraid of. I want you to spend some time thinking about how you cope with that fear, how you defend yourself against it. What's your fear response? Let me put it this way. Is your armor too heavy? Is your armor too heavy? Or in other words, do you have any negative fear responses? Okay, I'm going to unpack that a little bit. But first I want to say, this question is perhaps more important than the first one. It's often not our fears, but how we deal with them that is of the greatest importance. Throughout our lives, we've learned all sorts of ways to deal with our fears that some of them are good, but a lot of them are bad and don't really give us lasting peace. So I want to give you some, just a few examples of some unhelpful fear responses. And again, as I'm naming these, write down any that connect with you, or if you already have some, feel free to write those down, okay? Perhaps you cope with your fears by trying to just push them down. Okay, this is my primary fear response. Um, you just push them down and try and make them go away and trying to ignore them. But I can tell you firsthand that it doesn't work because those things come bubbling back up to the surface at some point. Another fear response is to retreat into a relationship, especially a romantic relationship. Okay, I've got to be careful with this one because God has given us relationships. He's given us friends and romantic partners to help us in our everyday lives, to be able to help us bear our burdens. But your romantic partner is not meant to bear the full weight of your burdens on their own. Okay, the best thing that your partner can do is point you to God. Another fear response is self-medication, okay? I'm not talking about drugs that have been prescribed to you by a professional. I'm talking about abusing substances that have not been, been prescribed to you. Therapy, as you may be like, Sam, you would suggest that there may be CCFers doing that in my big blue Christian house? Well, yes, <laughs> most definitely, <laughs> Another fear response that's a little bit more subtle but maybe a little more common is defensiveness. Okay, it's, it's okay to stand up for yourself, but defensiveness should not be a character trait. Okay, this stems from all sorts of different kinds of fears like fear of being wrong, a fear of not being able to uphold a certain perception of yourself. Cynicism is another fear response that's similar. Cynicism is different from skepticism, okay? We think of skepticism typically as a bad thing, but I think it's a good thing, 
right? Let me define it like this. Skepticism asks questions from a place of curiosity, even a place of wonder. It seeks to understand the truth. Cynicism, on the other hand, is a defense mechanism. It questions things, people, and institutions from a place of fear. It assumes that people are self-interested. Instead of searching for the truth, cynicism forces us to rely on our skewed narratives about the world, and it kind of forces us to accept what we already believe about the world. Okay, a lot, a lot, a lot of people that deal have had to deal with church trauma in the, in the past deal with cynicism. Now, all of these fear responses, those are obviously just a few of many, all of them make sense. Like, it makes sense why these are the types of responses that we have. Okay, if you're cynical about church or church leaders, it's likely that you were hurt by someone in the church in the past. If you're the type of person that just pushes your fears down, maybe someone in your life told you that expressing weakness or expressing fear was weak. If you self-medicate, well, I would completely understand why you do that. Students all around you go downtown every weekend and even some weeknights to run away from their problems. I'm not anti-alcohol. I drink. But there is a difference between drinking for enjoyment and drinking to self-medicate. My point is, all of our fear responses are learned behaviors. And walking in faithfulness with God requires us to do some unlearning. Which brings me to the end of the story of David and Goliath. What does David do? How does he feed Goliath? Does he go find a next-level Excalibur-type sword to be able to defeat Goliath? No, he doesn't do that. Does he go get a set of armor even better than the one that Saul tried to give him? No, he doesn't do that either. How did David prepare for battle? You know what he did? He took his armor off. He took his armor off. He didn't need it. And then he grabbed his stones and his sling, and he went to Goliath, and here's what he said. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. You see, David knew that the victory was his because he also knew that the battle was not his. It was God's. That's where Saul and his armies missed the mark. You know, they believed that it was on them to beat Goliath. But it was never on them. Beating Goliath was impossible the whole time. It was only through God that they were able to. Um... David trusted in God. He trusted in God so much that he took his armor off. And when he took his armor off, he made himself vulnerable before God and before Goliath. He didn't pretend to be stronger than the giants. He demonstrated his own weakness to show that his trust was in God's strength, 
not his own abilities. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, geez, thanks, Sam. People have been telling me that I should just trust God more for a long time now. (laughs) And I think that that is a valid response. I think when people usually say, you just need to trust God more, they're saying it as if it's as easy as turning a light switch on and off. Okay, trusting God is not as easy as turning a light switch on and off. It's something that we have to practice. It's something that has to become a habit. It's day in, it's day out, it's relational. It's like building a relationship with someone. Now, David is the ideal. It's what we're supposed to strive to be. I mean, when he found out that Goliath was making threats against Israel, he was ready to fight him that same day. Um, And truly, God can help us face our fears quickly. That's not out of the question. But for many of us, undoing unhealthy fear responses takes a long time. It's a process. So I just want to give you some examples of things that you can begin doing right now to begin walking in closer trust with God, to begin forming that habit. Okay? The first thing that you should do is just tell someone. Just talk to someone. It seems simple, but it's actually really scary. Okay? Oftentimes, we're so afraid to talk about what we're afraid of. And I think it's because we feel ashamed. I think that we feel ashamed, right? We feel like we shouldn't be afraid of it. This doesn't necessarily, isn't the case all the time. Um, But the enemy, he wants us to cover up what we're afraid of, to hold it in and to not tell anyone, to isolate us. But remember, he's given us this community to be able to rely on each other. So just tell someone. That's the first thing that you do. You can talk to a staff, an intern, excuse me, not an intern, a ministry assistant, a graduate assistant, any of your backbones, your senior leaders. There's all sorts of people that you can talk to. Really, a lot of people in this community you could talk to, okay? But find someone that you trust and talk to them. And if you don't have anyone, then just come talk to a staff member. The second thing you can do is to pray daily. Ask God to help you on a daily basis, okay? Um, I I won't promise that this is going to make your fears go away the day that you start praying, but I truly believe that if you just wake up every day, like we were talking about earlier with the lions and bears, and just ask God to help you with that day, ask him to help you pass your test, ask him to help you with simple things, then you'll begin to see his faithfulness in small ways, and then your fears will begin to grow to... to begin to shrink. Okay, in the past, Donnie has used note cards as a reminder to pray. Typically, it's, you know, if you're having trouble forgiving someone, then you look at the note card and remember to pray for them. Well, you have note cards. You can use those if you want. You can put it on your bedside table as a reminder to pray or tape it up in the mirror in your bathroom. I realize, though, that some of you have already given up on that idea because you know that you're probably going to lose your note card before you leave tonight. So another thing that you can do is to symbolically destroy your fears. Okay, maybe the thing that you need to do right after this is to go walk to the trash can, rip it up, and throw it in there. Or go home and light it on fire safely. (laughs) Not indoors. Symbolic acts have meaning. 
And doing something like that could be the first big step that you need to take towards saying, all right, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work this out with you. And of course, you should do that in addition to praying regularly. Um, Another thing you can do is to find a mentor or seek professional help. There may be someone who... There may be some of you who need, to, who need to talk to someone on a regular basis, someone that can challenge you mentally, emotionally, spiritually, someone who can hold you accountable for facing your fears. Please reach out to a staff member, and we can help get you hooked up with a mentor if you don't already have one. Now, there's a, probably a good number of us in the room where the fear runs so deep that you need to seek someone who can help you professionally. As a matter of fact, there are a number of us in this room that are currently seeking help professionally, okay? That is okay. It's okay to see a therapist. It's okay to see a psychiatrist. Oftentimes, we feel guilty like it means that we're not trusting in God, but these are things that God has given us as a gift to grow and to be able to walk in faithfulness with him better. And we have lots of good recommendations for people that you could see if that's something that you're interested in. So these are four things that you can begin doing right now, okay? This is not a comprehensive list. There's lots of other stuff, other stuff, but you can start by just telling someone. You can form a habit of praying on a regular basis. You can symbolically destroy your fears if that's what you need to do. And you can find a mentor or a therapist. I want to leave you with this, okay? No one said that Christians weren't allowed to be afraid or that we shouldn't experience fear. Fear is natural. It's an unfortunate part of our existence, but no fear is too big for God. He knows each one of our fears, and he is not judging us for what we are afraid of. He has compassion for us for what we are afraid of. I want to leave you with something that Jesus said, and then I'm going to pray. Okay, he told his disciples this right before he was crucified. One of the scariest moments they ever had to face. Here's what he left them with. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Okay, everyone, do what you do. God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this amazing community. Um, I just pray that you would help each one of us. Help us find ways to put our faith and our trust in you, even when it's hard. Teach us what it looks like to walk in relationship with you and remind us that you are like a father to us, that you care for us that you're not looking for us to mess up, but that you're lifting us up and helping us with our fears every day. We thank you, Father, that you are a God that is not a God of fear, but of peace. And we just pray, I just pray peace over all of us in the room. Help anyone that needs to to take steps to begin facing their fears, whatever that may look like. And be with us for the rest of the night and let us have a restful fall break. In the name of Jesus, amen.